0: Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. We are in the last part of our series in, uh, uh, in this part of Romans. Uh, we've been in a series entitled, God's Plan for Israel. Romans 9, 10, and 11 have been the chapters that we've been going through. And this will be our last uh, moment in Romans for at least a month or so. And then we will pick it back up in January. Uh, God's plan for Israel has been the series in this section of Romans and today's message is entitled part 10 all Israel will be saved all Israel will be saved and you might be wondering well what does that mean well we're going to find out about that in just a few moments but first uh, I had a lot of great questions from last week's uh, message and uh, you know that you know that you left a lot of questions unanswered when people have a lot of questions after the service. And it's a good thing, though. It's, it's good for me to uh, hear that feedback and to know some of the ways in which I can improve as I teach. And so I wanted to actually go back just for a moment and rehash three points from last week's message that I think are very important so that we're all on the same page. And so from last week, if you weren't here, that's all right. You can still uh, take some notes and you can go back. And listen to last week's message if you'd like. Um, but first, I wanted to make this point. Number one, on your outline, branches, the term branches in Romans eleven sixteen to 24, uh, do not represent individual believers, but the privileged people group, Jews or Gentiles, through which God proclaims the message of salvation. So, we were talking about people groups, not so much individuals here. Paul is speaking more of the time of the Jews on the olive tree of God, if you will, being the branches, being almost like a shade of refreshment upon the world as they gave the world the message of salvation. And now we see we're in the time of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are implied there in Romans 11 are the branches through which the refreshment of God's salvation comes to the world. So we're talking about people groups there in Romans 11, not so much individuals. Secondly, the limiting of the branches. When Paul says in verse 19, you will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in, the limiting of the branches does not refer to an arbitrary divine cap on eternal salvation, but rather to the fact that Jews and Gentiles cannot both be administrators of God's message at the same time. You say, no, well, wait a minute. That, that doesn't totally make sense. I mean, can't, can't everyone proclaim the message of salvation? Yes, everyone can. And everyone does. However, think of it like you think of any organization or business. In a business, we all work in, in, in the business world or maybe in education. And in, in the business world, There's only a certain amount of managers. There's only a certain amount of those who oversee, if you will, or who supervise the rest. And the same is true in God's economy. In God's world, there are only a certain number of those who are the administrators or the heralds or the proclaimers of the message of salvation. The Jews were the administrators. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> the Jews were the, the, the administrators of God's message of salvation to the world from the time of Abraham to the time of Jesus. Can't all be the boss. At that time the Jews were the administrators. They were the stewards of the message. And now the Gentiles. This church is a part of the heralds or the administrators or the stewards of God's message. We can't all be that at the same time. And so Paul's point there is that the limiting of the branches doesn't refer to an arbitrary divine cap on salvation, but rather to the fact that Jews and Gentiles cannot both be administrators of God's message at the same time. So the branches are necessarily limited. But that brings us to point three here. The potential of being cut off as a branch is temporary and pertains to losing the privileged status as God's administrators, not to losing salvation. The Jews have been, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll continue by saying this, the Jews have been cut off for a time. That is to say, they are not presently the messengers through whom God declares His salvation but one day they will be grafted back in when they turn to the Lord Jesus Christ again in faith and confess Him for deliverance. And this brings us, in fact, to our message today. This serves as a great transition point into now our final portion of Romans chapter 11. If you haven't already opened it, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 25. And I ask you to stand as we read God's Word. And consider it together. Let's stand together. Romans 11, beginning in verse 5 to the end of the chapter. Paul writes this, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer, He will come out of Zion and He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is My covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the Gospel, they, the Jews, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet now have obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient. But through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that He might have mercy on all. O the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments! and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Or who is first given to him? And it shall be repaid to him. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's read again verse 25 here. Paul writes, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Mystery? What mystery? The mystery that Paul is revealing, that he's been revealing throughout his New Testament letters, and particularly here in the book of Romans, chapter 11, that mystery is that blindness in part, blindness in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And again, this has been Paul's fundamental thesis throughout Romans 9, 10, and 11. Israel, the Jews, have been temporarily hardened, temporarily blinded, to the message of salvation and God has for a time turned his attention to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, that wild olive tree, has been grafted into God's olive tree and they are now the branches over which the world is given the shade and the refreshment of salvation. Israel is blinded. We see this in so many different parts of the New Testament. Paul writes, uh, he says it differently in 2 Corinthians 3, which I think is an effective way. He says, Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, it's lifted. This is the state in which Israel, by and large, lives. This is the state in which the Jewish people live. They live with a veil upon their hearts. A veil upon the Scriptures as they read the Old Testament. As they come across passages like Isaiah 53. Passages that we read and we think, of course this is about Jesus the Messiah. Yet the Jews, they read these passages. They compare these Old Testament prophecies and they don't see readily the connection that Christians see to Jesus. A veil lies on their heart, and they have been temporarily blinded, temporarily hardened. And this veil is to remain over their eyes, God says through Paul, is to remain over their eyes and hearts until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, what is the fullness of the Gentiles? The, full, the word fullness there is the Greek word play-roma. Play, play play means fulfillment or completion. It means a full measure of, or even to be more specific, a full number of. God is awaiting. He is awaiting a day when there will be a full harvest of Gentiles having come in. And when that harvest is over, Israel's veil will be lifted. Now, we don't know what that harvest looks like. We don't know what what the full measure is. Um, But we do know that that God, in His wisdom, He has has a measure in place. And He knows where we're at in that measurement. And when that measurement is full, when the Gentiles have come in as God has intended for them to come in, things will return. Uh, the, the, The scenario of the world will return to the people of Israel. You say, well, how do we know that's going to happen? Well, think about our, our theology. Think about what we espouse as a church. We believe that the next event in the history of the church is going to be what? The rapture. Right? We know and believe that uh, based on many passages in the New Testament that we will be raptured up when uh, when we hear the trumpet of the Lord. And so the church, namely... And primarily, Gentile Christians will be raptured up and will be with the Lord forever. Okay, And when that happens, who's going to be left on the earth? Well, of course, those left on the earth are going to be unbelievers. Many of uh, them are, are, are going to be unbelieving Jews. Uh, uh, estimates are that today some 15 million Jews live on the earth. And it's, uh, it's likely that but, but a mere small percentage of those um, Jewish people believe in Jesus as the Messiah. By and large, they, they, they reject Christ as the Messiah today. And so the church, the Gentiles, will be raptured. And who will be left? Where, where, will, where will the branches be? Well, God's olive tree, that wild olive tree that was grafted in, all those branches will be raptured in, the in, in an instant. In the twinkle of an eye, we will be gone, and there will be a tree that's barren and that has no fruit and that needs to be replenished. And at that time, when we are with the Lord, Israel will be grafted back in to the olive tree of God. In fact, if you read Revelation 7, you see the beginning, the first fruits of that. In Revelation seven, we see of God sealing. He's covering, He's protecting. 144,000 Jews at the onset of the Great Tribulation. That's what the Apostle John writes in his Apocalypse. He says, yeah, right when this Great Tribulation commences, 144,000 Jews will be sealed by God. They'll be protected. They'll be nourished by the Lord. Grafted back in to the olive tree of God. And Israel will again become the branches of privilege the messengers of God's salvation, to the unbelieving nations. So friends, we we, we see in our understanding of the New Testament how we read it as a church and as evangelicals by and large. um, It makes perfect sense. When the Gentile branches are gone, that tree will be replenished with the 144,000 Jews. The Bible doesn't tell us, of course, exactly when this day will come, the fullness of the Gentiles. But Jesus, in fact, hints at it. Jesus gives a hint in the Gospel of Luke about when this day might come. And He speaks first, at the first part of this uh, 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 selection we're going to see in Luke, He speaks first of the destruction of Jerusalem, but then He goes on to talk about the future and eschatology. Notice what He says. But woe to those... This is, now, He's first talking about A.D. 70 in Jerusalem. He says, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. That's what happened in AD 70, and of course is also somewhat indicative of what will happen on the last day. But notice this. And Jerusalem, Jesus writes, uh, Jesus says, Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles Are Well, that's similar language with Paul now, isn't it? Fullness of the Gentiles, times of the Gentiles. We see those uh, theologically as as basically synonymous, essentially synonymous. The times of the Gentiles is limited. The fullness of the Gentiles is a limited duration. And Jesus gives us a, a huge hint as to when that time, when that fullness is about to be reached. And he says, watch. Jerusalem Watch. Jerusalem. You see, because what's, what's so fascinating about Jesus' prediction here and gives Jesus, by the way, the utmost credibility. I mean, if I was an unbeliever, and I came across this statement and I knew history, I would be um, I would be more ferociously reading the teaching of Jesus, because his prediction here is astounding. In A.D. 70, Rome conquered Jerusalem. The Gentiles held and controlled Jerusalem, and the Jews were scattered. And from A.D. 70, through all the centuries, up until this present day, uh, up until the, the early part of the 20th century, we should say, Jerusalem was controlled by Gentiles. In effect, Jesus calls it the trampling of the Gentiles. The Jews were scattered. But of course, what happened? World War II happened. And the Holocaust happened. And sympathy was garnered for the Jewish people again. God used the cruelty of the Holocaust to engender sympathy again for the Jewish people, particularly among Christians. And uh, Truman, who was president at the time, a strong believer in Jesus Christ, believed that it was one of his duties to give the Jews back their land. So in 1948, things were arranged and the Jews were put back in Israel. But they didn't control Jerusalem just yet. That wasn't until the Six-Day War in 1967, June 5 to June 10, there was a six-day war between Israel and Egypt and Syria and Jordan. And that was the time in 1967, the first time since A.D. 70, 1900 years, the first time ever since A.D. 70 that the Jewish people were back in control of the holy city of Jerusalem. And Jesus writes here, friends, Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. He goes on to say in verse 28 of, of Luke 21, he says, when these things start to happen, he says, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Those are words to us today. Since 1967, based on Jesus' prediction in Luke 21, our eyes should be up. We should be looking up. Our, our heads lifted up, awaiting God's redemption, because he, Jesus himself says in Luke twenty-one, twenty-eight, your redemption is near. He didn't say it happened right at the, at the, uh, the control of Jerusalem by the Jews. He didn't say it happened right there. He said it would be near there. It would be close by. It would be close at hand. And we are still within a generation of that. Many uh, of us in the pew um, can remember, even, the events of the Six-Day War and of the return of Jerusalem. To Israel, our our faces should be lifted up. We should be wondering, what is the Lord up to? When is He going to send Jesus again to rapture us and to begin, of course, the Great Tribulation, but which commences in the Millennial Kingdom, which we are looking forward to. So Jesus' words here, friends, they are directed at the Jews in particular at the time that He was saying these things. Of course, by implication, all of us get to learn from it. But Paul, he's speaking <clears throat> primarily to the Gentiles in his letter to Rome, and he tells them that all these th- he tells them all these things so that they might be informed. And look what he says again in verse 25. He says, "I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant or uninformed of this mystery." You see, Paul was concerned that the Christians in Rome might not realize what God was doing the danger of their ignorance was that they should be wise or puffed up proud in their own opinion paul was concerned about gentile pride it was a very real problem in the first century and quite frankly it's still a problem today in the 21st century through 2000 years of the church's history paul has not wanted christians to forget the jews throughout 2000 years of history paul is writing this so that we might not forget Israel. So that we might not be puffed up and say, well, God is done with them. He's on to us. Paul says, no. Check your haughtiness at the door here, friends. We are to walk in humility here. We're to walk in the fear of the Lord. We're not to be prideful because God has has temporarily stricken one people and lifted up another. We're to be uh, humble toward the Lord, realizing that were it not for Jesus, were it not for the Jewish line through whom Jesus came, we would not have the salvation that we have. And so we owe a great debt to the Jewish people. Of course, to our Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. God has not replaced Israel. He will restore her one day. And Paul desperately wanted Gentiles to recognize this fact and to support it. And so that, that's why... I've I've said this before, but I'll say it again. That is why we support Israel. We don't support Israel as a church and as a nation blindly. We don't just, whatever they do. We support Israel's right to exist. We support Israel's right to to be in her land. It's her land. The Scriptures gave it to her. The Lord gave it to her. And so we as a nation, and as a church, we support Israel. That doesn't mean we turn a blind eye to anything they do. They're held accountable like any nation. If they, if they act improperly or unjustly, they should be dealt with accordingly. So we don't, we don't support them blindly, but we give them our support as, as a nation, as a, as a church, as a people, because we believe God has a plan for them. We believe that God is yet to do something in that land, despite the fact... That they, even now, are temporarily hardened and temporarily blinded to the Gospel. And not just uh, not just Israel proper, but many Jews live in our country today. Many Jews around the world. And the Scriptures speak to the fact that we should be attentive to showing special honor. We should be attentive to showing special grace toward our Jewish brethren. Through whom the message of salvation has come. Blindness in part, though, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And when this time comes, Paul says in verse 26 as we continue, when that that day comes, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes, and so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion and He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is My covenant with them when I take away their sins." Now, we'll get to the all Israel in just a moment, what what that means. But first, let us remember, and this is so important, let us remember that the word salvation here, the word saved in Romans, it means so much more, so much more than merely getting into heaven. Paul invests in this word so much more than simply the concept of entering into heaven. We've learned that throughout the book of Romans. We, we see that in Romans uh, chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Take a look. Notice how Paul distinguishes justification from salvation. He says, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, past tense, we shall be saved from wrath through Him, future tense. For if we were enemies with God when we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more than having been reconciled, past tense, by faith, We shall be saved by His life. Future tense. Looking to something ahead. A salvation that is yet future. What salvation is this? I've contended now for 11 chapters in the book of Romans that this salvation includes justification, but goes so much further than that. It incorporates issues of deliverance from God's wrath. Preservation and protection in the midst of difficulty. And as we will soon see here in the, in the book of Romans 11, difficulty and, and, and pressure and protection from Israel's enemies. And so salvation in the book of Romans entails deliverance from God's wrath. Wrath that comes in a variety of different ways. And the Bible speaks, and particularly the Romans speaks of the fact that, hey, justification and salvation in the book of Romans at least are distinct. They're not interchangeable. They're not one and the same. Romans 11.26 also reveals this truth. It's subtle. You've got to look for it. But take a look again at Romans 11.26. Notice what it says. Paul writes, And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. what What does that hearken our minds to? Do you recall back in Romans 1.18? Do you remember what the wrath of God came for? Notice this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Same word. Same Greek word there. And unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So at the start of the book, in Romans 1, Paul says, look, the wrath of God is coming. It's coming upon Gentiles. It's coming upon Jews. It's coming upon all people who disobey and who reject the Lord. And the way to avoid wrath is, of course, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, but also to confess Him, to call on the name of the Lord for salvation, deliverance, and to reject or to turn away from ungodliness and unrighteousness and suppressing the truth. So Paul's walked us through the book to this point, And in chapter 11, he says it again. Israel will be saved, that is to say, the Deliverer, Jesus. He'll come out of Zion, out of Jerusalem. He'll plant His feet at the Mount of Olives. And He will turn away. He will get rid of the ungodliness for which the wrath of God had come upon the world and upon Israel in particular. Ungodliness, wrath, salvation, all intertwined. Similar, a similar theme is being developed here. That salvation is not merely getting into heaven. The salvation in Romans includes that, but also includes calling on the name of the Lord for salvation, for deliverance, rejecting ungodliness through the Lord's help, and being delivered, protected, preserved by God. We often say in our prayers, and Lloyd said it today, and we put a hedge around us. I always think that a hedge is kind of weak. I want like a brick wall around me, right? We want a, we want a brick wall around us, Lord. Israel is going to get a brick wall around her, a brick wall of protection when she calls on the name of the Lord. For deliverance. You know that day's coming? Everything Paul's saying here aligns perfectly with Scripture. Notice Zechariah chapter twelve, verses nine and ten. And it shall be in that day that I the Lord will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. This is the end of the tribulation here, friends. And I will pour out... Notice what happens. I will pour out on the house of David, the Jews, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of what? Of supplication. A spirit of confession. A spirit of calling. And they will look on Me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for Him as one mourns for his only Son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. It's all coming together. It's, it, the Scriptures are cohesive, friends. When you read something that doesn't make sense, compare it with the rest of Scripture. It will begin to add up. It's so interesting that Zechariah uses the term supplication here. It's exactly the kind of terminology Paul's been using throughout Romans. Remember Romans 10.10? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, justification, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, deliverance. They will call on the name of the Lord and He will meet them. And He, having taken away their sins, not only when they believed on Him, but now that they've confessed Him, having turned away their ungodliness, the Lord will be a brick wall of protection around His chosen people, Israel. This day is coming. And Paul's point is clear. He says Israel will be saved and delivered from wrath. But how much of Israel will be saved? Paul says in verse 26, he says, all of Israel will be saved. All of them. Every single one of them. You say, now wait a minute. I remember Romans 9. And at the end of Romans 9, Paul said something a little bit differently. Notice what he said at the end of Romans 9. He writes, Isaiah also cries out, concerning the children, uh, concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For He, the Lord, will finish the work of tribulation and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. So which is it, Paul? Is it Romans 9 and the remnant will be saved? Or is it Romans 11 and all of Israel will be saved? see, this is the, the aha moment of many detractors of the faith. They, I, I, someone sent me, recently I, I received an email with 439 uh, Bible contradictions. 439s from, from a, a friend who's not a believer. And um, he, uh, he just sent it to me just to say, you know, here, look at this. And among them was, I believe, uh, this contradiction. You know, Paul says only a remnant will be saved in Romans 9. And then he says, all Israel will be saved in Romans 11. See, contradiction, Bible's false, blah, 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 blah. Um, I didn't go through all 439, by the way. That was a little cumbersome. I went through about 10 and realized that I could answer answer them pretty well. Um, This one, though, stumps a lot of people and and caused a uh, a lot of doubt and a lot of concern. I say that we're pretty foolish to suppose that Paul forgot what he said, right? I mean, in Romans 11, all Israel will be saved. It's like, oh wait, didn't I say the remnant will be saved? We are foolish to suppose that Paul forgot what he said in Romans 9, just two chapters earlier. I mean, he's writing the same letter. It's not like you, you, you could forget it a few paragraphs later, what you just said. And so we, we can rule out the assumption that Paul just forgot what he said or that he's just somehow uh, kind of crazy. In fact, for Paul, these two statements, the remnant will be saved, all Israel will be saved, these two statements are actually perfectly reconcilable. For Paul was well aware of the teaching of the Old Testament prophets. No doubt we have seen that he was an avid reader of Isaiah, but also of Zechariah, both of whom spilt much ink prophesying of the final days. And the reason The reason that Paul can make these two statements, the remnant will be saved, all Israel will be saved, the reason he can make seemingly contradictory statements is perhaps best evidenced by Zechariah's prophecy in in chapter 13. Take a look at what Zechariah predicted. He writes in verse 8, here it comes, "...and it shall come to pass in all the land..." says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. And I will bring the one-third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. And they will call on My name, supplication, and I will answer them. And I will say, this is My people, and each one will say, the Lord is My God. Now this is a sobering aspect of Bible prophecy. Uh, one that uh, is not to be um, mentioned lightly. And one that is only to be mentioned by citing the prophets themselves. But it is that the sobering aspect of, of Zechariah's words here and Paul's impl- implied words in Romans 9, 10, and 11 is that yes, all Israel will be saved. All Israel will be delivered. But by the, but. But by the time this event occurs, the Bible teaches that about two-thirds of Israel will suffer and die amidst the onslaught of the Antichrist and his armies. Given a conservative estimate of about 15 million Jews worldwide, this means that the Jewish casualties at the hands of Antichrist will be nearly double that which it was under Hitler and the Nazis. It will be an event without it will be a unique and a terrible event. One without parallel. And many of you might be wondering, you know, how can you say that? How can you say that? How can you make that statement? This is church. You're not supposed to say things like that. Um, I don't make it uh, I don't make it with, um, I don't make it with any sense of satisfaction. I make it because Zechariah makes it. I say it because the prophets say it. I say it because Paul implies it when he says the remnant will be saved and when he goes on to say all of them will be saved. Implied in those words is the prophecy of Zechariah that at the time of the Great Tribulation, there will be evil and wickedness on earth that is unparalleled. And at that time, though 144,000 Jews will be sealed and protected, many will go on to experience great hardship, even death. Two-thirds, some two-thirds of Israel, Zechariah predicts, will be cut off and die. But one-third, a remnant, will be brought through the fire of refining. They will be tested. They will call on the name of the Lord, the spirit of supplication. Confess. Confess the name of the Lord. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. This is not an aspect of Bible prophecy that, that we take lightly. We take this very soberly. And we speak it only on the authority of God's Word. Far be it from us to ever um, concoct any kind of idea that's outside of Scripture. But this is an idea that is embedded in it. And one that if we're faithful to God's Word, we must be faithful to teach and warn and caution. And so sin, friends, as we know, has great consequences. It can even result in physical death or or worse, eternal death. But God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to crush sin and death and to pave the way toward new life with Him. And so Paul continues in verse 28. He says, "...concerning the Gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For now, for right now, The Jews are like enemies, while Gentiles receive much blessing from God. But as one scholar put it, currently at enmity with God, Israel remains God's chosen people. That is to say, even though they are currently enemies, she remains in God's favor. He's elected her. He's elected Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's given them the oracles of God. He's blessed them immensely throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. We saw promise after promise and covenant after covenant. And we might think, well, goodness, if they're enemies now, have they lost it all? Paul says, no. No. God is true to His Word no matter what. And because He chose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to bless the world through the message of salvation, Israel remains beloved of God for the sake of her fathers, the patriarchs. The gifts, the calling of Israel, which is enumerated in Romans 9, verses 4 and 5 and so many portions of the Old Testament, this gift, this calling of Israel is not to be revoked. Or the word in Greek there, it's not to be regretted. It's not to be cast aside. Because God is always true to His Word, regardless, regardless of our conduct toward Him. And how refreshing is that? How refreshing that Israel can, for centuries now, largely reject the Gospel, and yet God remains faithful to Israel. He says, I will continue and keep the promises I've given to you. It's not our conduct, friends. Our salvation, our future, in the Kingdom of God, is not, it's not restricted to whether we're good or whether we're faithful or whether we persevere or whether we're good enough, holy enough, righteous enough. The Bible says clearly here that it's God's Word that matters. And even if we are faithless, God remains faithful. Even if we go on to reject Him, the Lord remains faithful to us. John 5.24, He who believes in Jesus Christ has passed from death to life and shall never again, never come into judgment. Once we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, once He has covenanted with us, we are His forever. Verse 30, For as you were once disobedient... "...to God, but now have obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that He might have mercy on all." Remember our place as Gentile believers. We were once a part of a group. We were once ourselves. Terribly disobedient to the Lord. A people utterly gone astray, but we were shown great mercy. And salvation that was given first to the Jew has now been offered to us. And Paul now wishes that we would reflect, that we would showcase, that we would manifest God's mercy to the world, that we would attract others to it, that particularly we would show great grace and mercy upon Israel who are presently hardened to the gospel of God's grace. You see, we're all gone astray. We're all sinners. Verse 32 says, We've all been disobedient. But God has used disobedience in the world to showcase His limitless mercy. And so Paul concludes with a doxology of sorts, a, an expression of praise. This is what he, he how he finishes chapter 11. He says, Oh, the depth! Oh, the depth! of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways. They are past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become His counselor? Who is first given to Him and it shall be repaid to Him? No. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Having having come through a very long section of Romans, having started with his concern for Israel, having mentioned the blessings now offered to the Gentiles, having hinted at the coming wrath upon Israel for a time, but yet a final deliverance, a final salvation moment. Paul looks upon this whole plan he looks upon all three of these chapters and he says, what a marvelous plan of God. Only God could have done such a thing. God who is so rich toward us, infinitely wise, infinitely knowledgeable, no man knows Him fully, no man gives Him counsel. How unsearchable is this judgment? When we think of judgment, we think of something that ends poorly. That ends in great distress. But when we look at this judgment of God, it ends in benevolence. It ends in salvation and deliverance. Sure, it comes through the fire of refining. A painful fire, no less. Some suffering, some hardship. But in the end, the judgment of God ends, it results in, benevolence, both to the Gentile, And to the Jew. And Israel, like all mankind, they don't merit this outcome. None of us merit such an outcome as salvation. Who is first given to God that it should be repaid to him? No one. But Israel, like all mankind, who does not deserve salvation, has been given it freely. Who a people group who has been hardened and blinded, who deserve condemnation, has been given again. A second lease on life. The Lord is true to His Word and when He says something, He means it and He completes it. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Tom Constable writes, God is the source from which all things come. The means by which all things happen. And the goal toward which all things are moving. He is the originator the sustainer, and the finisher of everything ultimately. He deserves all glory forever. You know, we've learned a great deal in, uh, in this particular portion of Romans, our, our series in Romans 9, 10, and 11, God's plan for Israel. We've, we've come a long way, and it's been, it's been a hard journey, These some ten uh, lessons in these chapters. But finish where Paul finishes. The notion that God, in His wisdom, has taken two people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, both of whom fell away in disobedience, and He's taken them through a refining fire. And in the end, Paul says, Salvation will come. Deliverance will still yet be available for all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and who call on Him, who have that spirit of supplication given to them that they might call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We, as a church, will one day be raptured And we will, no doubt, be able to witness uh, the tragedy of the Great Tribulation. Uh, We will uh, witness uh, in the heavenly gates uh, those who have been martyred during that time. And we will honor them. But we will also be able to see on the last day when God's chosen people having come through great hardship and trial, when all of Israel will look up, will realize that their redemption is near, will call on the name of the Lord for help, and the brick wall of protection in Jesus Christ will come, and He will plant His feet on the Mount of Olives, and He will crush, finally, and ultimately, the enemies of God and usher in the kingdom. That is where Paul ends. Of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's uh, it's been some time now that, that we've walked through Your Word in this portion of Romans. And Father, it's You know for all of us that we struggle at times with understanding. With understanding Your wisdom, Your plan, the events of this world and how they are to play out in the future. Lord, it's beyond our comprehension. But like Paul, Father, we cling to the end of the story. We cling to... Final deliverance, final salvation, which we know is promised to all who call on the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, help us in the midst of this world, as we, as Gentile Christians, help us to be good heralds of the message, to be good administrators of your message for this time that we have. For we know that our time is short, we know that the fullness of the Gentiles is coming. Now that Jerusalem is under Israel's control, we know that our redemption is near. So Lord, we ask that You would bring about Your plan. That Maranatha, Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come. That You would come. That we would be with You. That You would refine Your people. And that You would usher in salvation for all of Israel. We ask these days to come quickly, Lord.